Nancy and I have been uh, so appreciative of the opportunity to be here at this uh, Bayshore camp. Uh, it was unknown to us. Can you believe that? I know you folks can't possibly believe that we had lived in such darkness and ignorance not to know that there was a Bayshore camp. But uh, we certainly have uh, enjoyed our time getting to know you. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you for the sense of uh, your commitment to hear God and to be obedient to him, to worship him in beauty, to worship him in truth. Uh, I want to give a special uh, word of thanks to, uh, to Jennifer and Kendall Root for uh, all of the work that they've done. They've worked many, many hours, a lot of detailed planning. They've been up at night trying to figure out what should be done the next day. They've written out long notes of, of uh, announcements. They've just done all kinds of things. And likely they have emerged as perhaps going to be one of your finest sets of deans that you've ever had. So, no, no, just a moment, let me just check with him. Is, is that how you wanted me to say that? It, uh, I tried to memorize, I tried to memorize what you wrote out for me, but. <clears throat> In all seriousness, these kinds of things don't happen without the deep sacrificial commitment and dedication of many, many people. And uh, Nancy and I have been uh, just so impressed with uh, the people who make it happen here at Bayshore, uh, the support services team, the many volunteers. Uh, I don't know that I can remember having eaten as well at any kind of camp uh, than, we, than you feed folk here at Bayshore. It's just an absolutely amazing thing. So we, we say thank you. And it's been a season of, of refreshing for Nancy and me because uh, we essentially have uh, camp meetings uh, in our legacy as well. And uh, we have Bayshore experiences in various parts of, of the country that we had had refreshed of uh, being here. Although I have to confess that some of these bus songs were a little new to me uh, that, uh, that we heard tonight. Uh, the only bus song I know was the wheels went around with, the, no, whatever it was, okay. But uh, I, I think that the key for these kinds of places is that there is such a sense that God's presence is here that we have to understand that this is only all possible. The sacrificial service, the kinds of friendships we develop, the silly bus songs that we memorize and then keep us up all night or in the most inopportune times kind of blurt out of our mouths. All of that is because of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit among us. And so one of the most important things I think that we need to understand as we leave this place <clears throat> is that while we've been here uh, on a mountaintop, so to speak, although you're just above the floodplain here, on a spiritual mountaintop, fundamentally, uh, we are being called to go back into a, a, an ever-darkening world. And we've had the joy of the Lord as our strength. We've experienced so many wonderful, happy, joyous, fun times together. Uh, I was so impressed this morning when I stepped out of our little room and you had allowed the temperature to drop 30 degrees uh, to make me feel at home as a Canadian. And then as I looked up in the sky, snow was falling. But I came around the corner only to discover it was bubbles. Uh, tons and tons of bubbles 
And I thought, how far will these Bayshore people go to make people like Dave Gyertsen feel comfortable? But the real thing that has made us comfortable has not been your bubbles, or even the food, which has been quite comforting. But it's been the fact that we sense in this place that you understand that it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we're going to need the, the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in us individually, in us collectively, perhaps at a, at a, in a greater way than we've ever had before in terms of our lifetimes together. That as the world gets increasingly dark and increasingly complex and increasingly unwilling to embrace the core values that really are necessary for us to understand God's plan and God's purposes for his human creation. <clears throat> We're going to have to rely more and more and more on the work of the Spirit, on the gifts of the Spirit, on the graces and fruit of the Spirit in order to address these kind of days. Uh, one of the, the most sobering things that Paul had to say to the Galatian church was, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Would you now try to complete in the flesh that which was begun in the Spirit? 110 years ago, this place was begun in the Spirit. This place still exists after 110 years because the Holy Spirit has been welcome. You know the little chorus? Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. And I've run out of the words. But I sense that fundamentally that's been the core behind what God has been doing and I believe what God has done this week, that you have welcomed the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that for his disciples to go into an ever-darkening world, they were going to need to have a deeper understanding of this Holy Spirit. Uh, he had been telling them all along for the three years of their itinerant ministry uh, that uh, he was going to leave them. Uh, that was something that they kind of ignored, something that they didn't want to hear. And a, a few occasions when he was more direct about it, uh, they basically resisted it because they wanted to have Jesus' presence. That became particularly clear when Jesus kind of sent them off on their own to do ministry, and they were utter failures because the presence of Christ and the power of Christ did not go with them because Jesus couldn't go everywhere with everyone to every place all the time. And so he gathers them together in the upper room in John 13 through 17. And we have this wonderful uh, upper room discourse, as it's called, as a, as a teacher I like to kind of think of John 13 through 17 as the cram for the final exam. You see, he started out with the Master's Mountain School, teaching in terms of the Beatitudes and everything in those early chapters of Matthew. And then we had the Master's Traveling School, that as they walked and, and worked across uh, Galilee and across uh, the uh, land of Israel at that particular time, uh, Jesus was teaching lessons. Sometimes it would be lessons about fig trees, and sometimes it would be lessons uh, about uh, people who had abandoned God, or other lessons of, of uh, understanding about God's economy in terms of 
of investing and, and what it means to give sacrificially. There were dozens and dozens of lessons all along the way that in this master's traveling school they learned. But Jesus knew that unless they had really grasped the fact that they would need an ever-abiding comforter, an ever-abiding teacher to be with them. There was no way they could fully absorb the lessons that they had learned and put them into action. And so in John 13 through 17, Jesus is trying to prepare them for the shock of the crucifixion, the glory of the resurrection, and then the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so in that particular upper room discourse, he has these wonderful teachings that, yes, he's going to go away. They don't want to hear that. But if I go away, I'm going to send another comforter. And in chapter 14 and again in chapter 15, you can study these in more depth on your own, uh, he describes the various works and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the things that we need to do in this day and age is to kind of rediscover the breadth and depth of the Holy Spirit's provision for us as we're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of every tongue, tribe, and nation. And, and so I just want to give you a, a series of things that this Holy Spirit is responsible for. Now, as we mentioned this morning, in this morning's class, the concept of the Trinity is very hard to grasp. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we've tried to figure out all kinds of metaphors and illustrations. Uh, all of them come up short. But fundamentally, what we know is that the Holy Spirit has always been. He was before time. He will be throughout time, and he will be beyond time as a part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is really the catalyst that makes the purposes of God happen. And so we have in the creation story the fact that as God speaks into existence uh, the world and all of the aspects of the creation narrative, it's the Holy Spirit that hovers. The Holy Spirit becomes the creative force. And we find as we work through the Old Testament over and over again that the great prophetic words came through the ministration of the Holy Spirit that he was the one who created the opportunity and, and gave the unction for the word of God uh, to be declared. And so he is a creator spirit. Whenever God gets ready to do something new, the Holy Spirit is always dispatched ahead of time to make the way at creation, in the prophetic voices, in the birth of, of uh, John, and then uh, uh, in the birth of Jesus, uh, in the birth of the church, and in every major move of the kingdom ever since then throughout church history, it's always been the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to be the creative force to set the stage for what God is doing. And so I just want to kind of rehearse for you some of these key aspects of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, first of all, as we've said, he's the creative energy. And we need to embrace him and understand that we can't do the work of the kingdom in our own strength. That we've got to have the Holy Spirit working fully and thoroughly through us. And then he's also the one that communicates God's truth. There's no way that any of us 
And Apollos would discover this and would have to be tutored by a, a husband and wife couple that even the most articulate person, their words will fall on deaf ears and will not take root unless those words are initiated by, anointed by, and applied by the Holy Spirit. And so for us, even in communicating the message, we have to have the Spirit's unction to communicate effectively. A third thing about the Holy Spirit is that he convicts of sin. It's, it's the, something happens when God's Word is effectively communicated through the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just touch our ears. It <coughs> penetrates our heart. Matter of fact, the stronger uh, wording is it pierces our heart. And so it convicts us of the fact that we need to conform to the things that God has for us. A lot of times in our church history, uh, we have thought we could put people under conviction by whatever strategies and tactics, uh, you know, some that I used to have to sit under by camp meeting evangelists, you know, were the scare tactics. So one of my favorites was the evangelist who got up and said, if you don't come to Jesus tonight, you're going to step out of this church. It happened to be winter. You're going to step out of this church and a careening snowplow will come out of the dark and you will be dispatched into a Christless eternity. Uh, that didn't do much for me. Okay? I thought, hmm, interesting, a little scary. Uh, made me nervous about every time I saw a snowplow in terms of whether or not it was coming for me. Um, but it didn't convince me it didn't convict me of my sin, and it didn't convince me, the other work of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ was the answer to my sin. It's the Holy Spirit that has to do that. Now, sometimes he uses instrumentation, and you know, we can you know, beat people uh, uh, into submission, coming to the altar by singing all 100 verses of Just As I Am, uh, as we've talked about. But in the end, the real conviction about our sin that's so deep that it causes us to grieve over our sin, to grieve over it, to understand it's not just an optional thing to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, but it's a must obligation that there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And so the Spirit convicts us of our sin deeply. And then the Spirit convinces us that the answer to that sin is Jesus. Nobody can confess, nobody can say Jesus is Lord, which is an acceptance of the saving work of Christ and an understanding of that saving work unless the Spirit enables that possibility. Because within us, there's resistance to that acknowledgement. But the Spirit then, as we confess Jesus Christ is Lord, then confirms. I love this aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry. It says that the Holy Spirit then bears witness with our spirits that we're children of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Often we'll get the question, uh, maybe you've had it as well, how do you know you're saved? How do you know that you know? And, and, and I don't know how to answer that other than to say, I don't know how I know, but I know that I know. Because it's the Holy Spirit who's communing with my spirit, bearing witness to that reality, that I have been born again, that I'm a child of the Most High God, 
and that I'd been grafted in, adopted into God's family through the sacrificial work of his son, my brother, Jesus Christ. And so he confirms the fact that we are now children. And that confirmation is so critical. And that Holy Spirit on a regular basis is reminding us and, and reaffirming the fact that no matter what voices crawl up on our shoulder to tell us otherwise. Yeah, who do you think you are? You know, have you heard those voices? Well, you, you, you can't be saved. Uh, yeah, yeah, you made a confession and it was because you, you know, responded to the 35th verse of just as I am. But fundamentally, you're really not a Christian. And we can say, we rebuke you, you liar. Because the Holy Spirit becomes the seal of our redemption. He becomes the one that bears witness to the fact that we are children of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And then begins this wonderful privilege we have of after we've been convinced and after we've confessed and after we've confirmed that we're children of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ because of his particular witness in our lives, spirit to spirit, Jesus Christ then through that spirit begins to call us because we're saved for a purpose. We're saved to an end. And one of the things that I, that I hope you have felt while you've been here is the fact that we are living in these very critical times when every single person who names the name of Christ has something to do to advance the kingdom. You have an assignment. You have a calling. A lot of times people think callings are reserved for clergy or for missionaries. But every Christian who is alive in whatever period that they have lived has been called to some kind of witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we mentioned a couple of nights ago, as God looked down through all of history, the Bible says that he essentially knew us before we were born. He knew us to such depth that he counted the hairs of our head. For some of you, that wasn't a big math challenge for God, I understand. Uh, for me, it's getting less and less of a challenge. But that he knew us, and he knew the age in which we would serve the best and the most effective. And so he didn't make a mistake in having you born into this generation. He didn't make a mistake by having you to be the fourth or fifth generation of Bashorites. He knew that you were going to be needed and could be used for the advancement of his purposes in some specific way. And as we've said in previous teachings here, often that's a preparation for a moment for some, it's for a lifetime of ministry. But for many, many people, it's for a series of moments, or perhaps even one individual moment, as it was for Simeon and Anna when they were there, when Jesus was brought into the temple. But you don't want to miss your shot, if we can quote the Hamilton musical. You want to be prepared and equipped. And Jesus was saying in John 13 through 17, the key to not missing your shot to not blowing your moment is to be deeply connected to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that the Holy Spirit essentially can equip you for that time. When you go back to uh, Simeon and Anna, the two things, that, or the one thing that's clear for the both of them 
is that they knew their moment came how? By the Holy Spirit. They were there prompted by the Holy Spirit. They knew that this was their moment because they had cultivated a sensitivity to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit calls us. And as He calls us, He continues to conform us. And one of the, uh, the great mysteries of this thing that the Holy Spirit does in us is that He now spends a lifetime conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. I love the scripture when it says that when we die and we confront Jesus, we shall know Him. Why? Because we become like Him. We step into His presence. And like a major chord, there's a, there's a resonance there. He is ours. I am my beloved and He is mine. Is that kind of sense of connectedness. And the Holy Spirit has spent a lifetime conforming us until that very day. Now, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily perfected, that we do everything perfectly and the way we should, but it is the promise that as we continue to submit to the Holy Spirit and to trust the Holy Spirit, that He will then day by day by day prepare us and equip us so that we can be ready for the moment or the multiple moments that God has planned from the foundation of time for you and I to contribute to in terms of His work in this generation. I struggled with this conforming process because I, I tend to be really hard on myself. Uh, my mother's prophecy that I shared with you uh, when I came home and, and uh, at age 14 and the door was locked uh, and all of my clothes were on the front lawn and she wouldn't let me in. Um, she, she screamed through the door as I shared, you're no blankety-blank good, you'll turn out a failure just like your old man. I never want to see you again. And, and so that tape, uh, when I was in broadcasting, it was in the day before we had all of the digital, we were dealing more with, with other forms of communication, but we would have tape carts and a tape cart was, uh, would be 15 seconds long or 30 seconds long or 60 seconds long. Often it was a commercial break that we would plug in at the right time, hit the button, and it would play. And it was a continuous loop. It would, in essence, reset itself. And so, you know, this is WKRB in Cincinnati, you know, and it would stop. And then we'd pull it out, put the next card in, in order to take the next step in terms of what the program sheet called for. And so for me, those words of my mom were a continuous playing cart. They were always there. And every time that I felt God was calling me to do something, and I didn't quite measure up, that tape played. Dave, you're no blankety-blank good. You'll turn out like your blankety-blank old man. You'll be a failure. I never want to see you again. And I struggled with that in terms of this concept of, of wanting to offer to God uh, you know, a, a perfect sacrifice. You know, we, we're supposed to bring our best. And so I, I am not one that deals well with failing or failure because I'm trying to live out of uh, rather than live up to my mother's statements. I, by the way, before I go too much further, I just want to say to you, uh, because sometimes I forget to do this and it leaves people wondering, that I had the privilege of seeing my mother come to faith before she died. 
I had the privilege of, of sitting with her. She had been watching Christian television earlier uh, in her life. She'd been listening to Billy Graham. Uh, matter of fact, some of the first things I remember about religion was my mother listening to the hour, uh, 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 Billy Graham's Hour of Decision on our little radio station. And she had a hunger for spiritual things. But because she was uh, afflicted with this uh, schizophrenia and also afflicted with uh, the most severest forms of psoriatic arthritis, uh, she just didn't ever really come to her right senses. And when she threw me out of the house, I, I guess I knew it really wasn't her. There was something else going on. But despite that, that tape played. Well, years later, uh, when I had the privilege of uh, being the uh, senior officer for a broadcasting operation in Canada, a Christian broadcasting operation, it turned out our offices were just four blocks from where my mother was living. And I had the privilege of going over on occasion to meet with her and to discover that she had come to a settled faith in Jesus Christ. I mentioned to you that the same thing uh, I had the privilege of seeing with my dad when I came into the Salvation Army uh, drop-in center that night, and my dad was there, and I didn't know it. And after presenting the gospel, he came forward, knelt at the mercy seat, and myself and the captain of the Salvation Army at that time uh, at the Harbor Light Mission were able to lead him to Jesus and see him reconcile. And so while those reconciliations occurred, those tapes are still so powerful, so powerful in our lives. And I have to rebuke that tape when it begins to play. And I struggled with that until we moved to Virginia Beach from Spring Arbor uh, to help start Regent University. And myself and a couple of other people were hired uh, by the founder of the institution to start the university. And we moved into Virginia Beach in one of the, the hottest seasons uh, that they'd ever had in terms of a summer season. And uh, we planted some landscaping in our little house, but it had to be watered every day, and water was very, very expensive. That We were in drought conditions. And I realized that because of where we were at sea level, that several houses around us uh, had shallow wells. It wasn't drinkable water, it wasn't potable, but it was water that you could use, and so by hand, you could actually put down a, a shallow well. Uh, down 12, 15 feet, you'd hit water that would be of sufficient quality and quantity to water your plants. And so I'm out there doing that thing behind the house, you know, banging away, trying to get the pipe down, banging away. There in Virginia Beach, you, you go down about six inches of topsoil, and you hit shell beds hard shell beds, because that was all ocean at one time. And, you know, you just have to keep driving through, and I'm hot, it's terrible. Um, and over by the, the tap is my little four-year-old, five-year-old daughter playing. And she's, the tape is, the tap is dripping water, and, and uh, she's playing in the mud. And the next thing I know, she's standing beside me with a glass of water. Isn't that a beautiful thing? except the way she carried it was with her fingers like this <laughs> inside the cup. And, and uh, here, Daddy, here's some water for you. At that moment, I had a decision to make. Was I going to 
correct her and discipline her? Was I going to reject the water because there was all of this stuff floating on the top of it? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, are you going to focus on the method, which is faulty, or on the motivation, which is perfect? And a light went on for me. Is that throughout my life, I am perfecting method. I'll probably always get it wrong in some way. But the issue that God is most concerned about is what's in my heart, what's my motivation. And I realized that Andrea had brought me this glass of water because she loved her daddy, and she knew her daddy was thirsty, and even though she had brought it the wrong way, she had brought it for the right reasons. And so I prayed a prayer of protection, (laughs) took the glass of water from her, tried not to be too obvious in picking out whatever was floating on the top, and drank it down. And then I said to her, Andrea, thank you for loving your daddy so much that you would bring me a glass of water. I really appreciate it. Sweetie, next time, <laughs> when, when you bring the water, can, can you bring it this way? And, and, uh, and she looked at me and said, oh, okay, daddy. Okay, bring it that way. And I responded to that. She was not perfect in her water bearing, carrying strategies, right? But the intent of her heart was what I saw. And God was saying to me, David, slowly I am helping you because I'm a teacher through my Holy Spirit to basically do my work my way. But I know that you have this wonderful treasure in an earthen vessel. And that on occasion you're going to chip and crack. But I want you to know that what I'm really looking for is motivation. If, in my correction of my daughter, she looked up at me and said, uh, oh, listen, pops, I'm going to bring water to you the way I want to bring water to you. I am going to bring water with my fingers stuck in it, and so there. That's a whole different situation, isn't it? Because it's revealing another aspect of heart purity that needs to be worked on. And so I learned, just through that very simple act, I believe revealed and clarified by the working ministry of the Holy Spirit in me at that moment, that God is most concerned about perfecting our motivations that we would love him with our total being, that we would love him with soul, heart, mind, and strength. And even though we will make mistakes, and the Spirit will come and correct us in those mistakes, fundamentally, what God is most concerned about, and the way we're being ultimately conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, is because he is building in us that desire to love him with all of our heart. And as a result, because of that love, to be willing to do whatever he asks us to do and to receive correction as we step out and perhaps don't do it quite as perfectly as we need to be. And so this wonderful truth that he tries to communicate in John 13 through 17, uh, 
and uh, through John 13 through 16, in essence. In 17, we get a, a hint at why he emphasizes the power and presence of the Holy Spirit so much. You get this high priestly prayer, wonderful, glorious thing to soak in. And one of the things that he says is, Lord, I, I, Father, I, I've, I've got these disciples. I, I've, I've cared for all of them except one that from preordation uh, was not going to, to be one that would persist. And, and I've loved them like you have loved me. And this is the key. But the world hates them. The world hates them. And so give them your Holy Spirit so that they can respond and react and basically be effective in their service for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so where I would like us to kind of conclude this evening in this glorious time of, of celebration and this time of joy is to understand that we're going to have to leave this place apparently tomorrow by 8 a.m. I don't know what happens if you don't, um, but tomorrow by 8, Nancy and I are going to be out uh, of our room um, because we don't know what the consequences will be if, if we're not out of our room. But we're going to have to leave this place tomorrow morning at 8, right? Uh, some of you will leave this evening. Um, some of you with trailers can leave before 11, but better make it before 11. Uh, and No, I'm just kidding. We understand why all that's necessary, isn't it? To get ready for. Isn't it wonderful that this camp is so busy that some of us have got to get out of the way so the next round of ministry can occur? Boy, there's a spiritual lesson in that, isn't there? There's sometimes we need to get out of the way so God can work. And for this next camp coming in, we'd all be, better be out of the way by 11 so that the camp can be ready for God to work in beautiful ways. But when we leave this place, we're going in, as I said earlier, into an ever-darkening world. And we need, like we've never needed Him before, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We need Him to teach us. We need Him to be that creative force because a lot of the methodologies that we've used in the past uh, to communicate the gospel uh, are going to have to change. But the good news is the Holy Spirit is the creative force. He knows what's coming. He knows how the gospel can be best communicated, can be best presented. And at Asbury Seminary now, we still train uh, men and women for pastoral ministry in the MDiv program, but we're getting more and more young people, more and more people coming into ministry who have creative models for ministry, who are planting outposts for the kingdom in some of the most incredible places you can imagine. At Asbury University, uh, they have been preparing men and women in multiple disciplines, but one of the most exciting for me, because my daughter and son-in-law were in it, um, is the communications field, and particularly sending missionaries into Hollywood. And there are hundreds and hundreds of young men and women deeply committed to Christ that are serving the Lord in one of the darkest places in terms of uh, the gospel. And in California and in other places where uh, movies are made and television series are made, uh, we understand that Satan is, is the prince and power of the air. And so he's going to control as best he can those things that have the greatest influence. 
And now what we have on our cell phones, what we have on our TV screens, what we have on the various computer screens we have uh, are things that do not enlighten us toward the kingdom of God. But God is calling up a whole new set of missionaries who are ready to go in to those dark places. Uh, and, uh, for example, my daughter ended up doing an internship. Uh, she's a scriptwriter. She did an internship early on at Warner Brothers. And at Warner Brothers, there were over 300 committed Christians every day at noon holding Bible studies all across the Warner Brothers production sites. 300 of them. And, interestingly enough, the, young, the lady who was the uh, executive assistant to the president of Warner Brothers, who I got to know because she was on one of my trips to Israel, basically got permission from this secular Jewish man to bring in some of her Christian friends every morning into his office before he came into his office to pray over his office and to lay hands on his chair so that he would make wise decisions and produce communications that would be the best for culture and society moving forward. Some of the most vibrant churches we've been at are churches in California where hundreds and hundreds of Christians in the communications industry are coming together because they want to take hold and win back that which the prince of the power of the air essentially has taken over in such a dark and deep way. And so the good news is, is that God is preparing a whole new generation of unique ambassadors for the gospel. And each and every one of them know that it's got to be done in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so even though we leave this glorious place of light and joy and enter back into a culture and society that's getting less joyful and darker, we have great hope. I have had the privilege of working with and seeing God at work in the hands of these new emerging generation of cultural missionaries who understand they've got to be trained well, got to study to show themselves approved, They've got to earn the right to witness, but in the end, they know that it's only going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives are going to be changed. I'll give you one quick story. Angelina Jolie, who I'm sure uh, some of you know, a uh, very famous actress, has a brother who's also an actor. Their whole family is, is, is really a mess. And uh, he was in a production that my son-in-law was helping produce. And, and what happens when Christians get in these positions, they then stack the deck because they know that there are hundreds of other Christians in the industry who do their jobs well, who have the specific skill sets necessary. And so on this particular, particular production, uh, most of the, the staff, the people running the soundboards, pulling the cables, running the cameras, uh, some of the actors and actresses were deeply committed Christians who understood that they were there not to do a job, but to be a witness by doing their job well. So the production went through and the film was completed and you have the wrap party at the end, which is always a lot of fun. Uh, but the, the woman who played the mother of the son that Angelina Jolie's brother was playing 
uh, essentially stopped everything and gave him a Bible and said, you know, uh, we love you. And we want you to know that God loves you. This is the rap party, okay? And he choked up, Brady was telling me, and basically said, I have been on dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds of shoots, and I've never been loved and respected by what I've experienced here. And the seeds have been sown in his life that the Holy Spirit then will begin to water. You've got opportunities right where you are to sow some seeds, even if you feel you're in a dark place. And if you will be faithful to do your work as unto the Lord, and you will listen carefully to the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit, you will have numerous opportunities to plant seeds that then the Holy Spirit will begin to water and work with. You may not see the harvest. Remember the saying in Scripture that says, you know, Paul was talking about the different functions of ministry. He says, one plants and other waters, but God gives the increase, right, in the end. And so you can be assured that what you've experienced here has become basically the energizing resource that then the Holy Spirit will use to make a difference. Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, Dave, if you just knew me. I love the, the story of the, the, the husband and wife at the altar praying, and he's praying, fill me, Lord, fill me, fill me. And she's praying, don't fill him, he's full of holes, he's full of holes. We're so painfully aware, aren't we, of our own limitations. But the good news is, is that we're a work in process. And by the Holy Spirit's help, we'll be a work in progress so that he can take even those weaknesses and use them for us to advance the kingdom. Nancy and I are returning. I don't want to suggest that Wilmore is a dark place because Wilmore, uh, like Bayshore, is the holy city. Um, we did have a, a piece of advertising material early on in uh, Asbury College's days, which said, uh, come to Asbury College seven miles from any known sin. Um, little presumptuous. Uh, as students, we used to joke and say, you are now uh, seven inches from any known sin, you know, in terms of just the proxy. The reality is, we're all fallen, aren't we? But the reality is that God is at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So as we wrap up the camp, my challenge to you is this. You have experienced great things in this place this week. You have rekindled relationships. Some of you have reached back and re-enlivened Ebenezer's. You've gone back to say a grandfather, a great-grandfather, found Jesus here. They found their spouses here. And as a result, I now sit here as one who has benefited from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But that's not enough. You've got to take what you've experienced here and take it back into an ever-darkening world with the understanding that, yes, you're not perfect yet, but you can be perfect in a desire to do all you do for the ultimate glory of God. Will you make that your challenge? Will you invite the Holy Spirit into your life in a fresh way? 
Will you allow him to reawaken you to the fact that God did not make any mistake when he discerned from the foundation of time that he needed you right where you are, right at this particular time, in this Kairos moment, in this Kronos moment, because he's getting ready in the fullness of time to reveal himself in new and dramatic ways. One of the things in uh, the story of Moses, you know, you know it well, Ellen taught on it one morning uh, in our Bible study, was uh, his call. And uh, God says, I've seen the afflictions of my people. I've heard their cries by reason of their cruel taskmasters. And I'm coming down to deliver them. And I'm sure Moses was saying, go get them, God. But God didn't stop there. He said, and I'm sending you. (laughs) I'm sending you to set my people free. And so as the world gets darker, hear what God said to Moses. I've seen the afflictions of my people. I've heard their cries by reason of their cruel taskmasters. And I'm coming down to deliver them. But I'm going to do it through you. And the good news is, as the disciples heard that challenge, that Jesus would never leave them or forsake them. And they would then wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit was poured out in all of his power so that they could then send the light and speak the words that were necessary for people to know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Will you be sent wherever he sends you? I trust that will be what you'll carry from this mountaintop experience back into the valleys. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.